we need to be fearless, honestly. I mean, I think, uh, I don't think any team accomplishes anything special not being fearless. So I think we just need to be fearless and go out there and play our game and be aggressive and uh, get after it. Well, I mean, the thing I'll say, one of the things I'll say about Bo Bichette is generally he backs up his words with his action. And Bo Bichette's returned to the lineup this weekend. I mean, I don't know if it explains entirely the 12 extra base hits uh, yesterday, although the, <laughs> his triple and home run certainly contributed to that. Uh, but I think it just, it, it, yesterday's game in particular just, just reinforced, I think, how much better that, how much better the lineup is with Bo in it. That sounds kind of trite. I, it just reinforced, I think, that he is. Um, and I hate to say this because I don't, I don't want to turn this into Bo versus Vladdy, but it, it, to me, anyhow, what we saw in Bo's absence and what we've seen in his return certainly does nothing to take away from the narrative that uh, the guy that makes this team go is Bo Bichette. Uh, the base of this team, the strength of this team is largely its starting pitching and its bullpen, clearly. That, 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 that goes without saying. But, uh, man, there's a dynamism to this lineup when Bo Bichette is there. There's a different feeling to it. I don't necessarily buy into the, you know, everybody feeds off of his presence aspect. I mean, guys are going to do what they're going to do. I think Brandon Belt's the same dude. Dalton Varsha's the same dude. Matt Chapman's the same dude. But, man, just th- that, that presence in that lineup, the, the sense of, Activity, the sense of action you get from seeing Bo Bichette in the game. I, I've said this before. I, I don't. I and this goes back to when you know Bo and Vladdy were first coming up. We've never seen, I don't think, a player that can excite you to the degree Bo Bichette does. Not not in recent years. You know, Jose Batista obviously was an exciting player. Josh Donaldson, he was exciting, uh, but in different ways in different ways, in terms of just this this churn. I think Bo Bichette is on a different level uh, than a lot of guys. The Jays have today off. They will start a three-game series against the Baltimore Orioles tomorrow. It's an important series. Yeah, it's important. Is it important because it's your last shot at the Orioles who are leading the division? I don't think so. I think more than anything else, it's important because you've got to keep winning series. You are in a wild-card race right now. You are not setting the pace. You are, in fact, following other teams in the wild-card race. You just have to go about winning games, whatever it takes. Caleb Joseph is our Sportsnet Blue Jay Central analyst. He joins us on Blair and Barker. Caleb, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, Barker isn't here, but he is here in spirit. He says hi, and I'm willing to bet that he probably texted you about five minutes ago, right? Oh, I wish, man. I'm on the forgotten list, I guess. Usually he does reach out, but nope, I'm on the I'm on the, the bleep list, I guess. Nah, I mean he is technically on a holiday, so it, it, he may just be having a cigar and a <laughs> he may be having a cigar and a Jack and Coke right now and kicking back. You sound like you're in a much better mood. What is there something to that or I sound like I'm in a much better mood? Uh, the caffeine is yeah, kicked like- in. Well, I like. Well, you don't have to worry about Barker all day, I guess. Oh no, no, God, believe me, not. I've got to be. I got to be careful now, because I, I mean, the guy who knows everything about baseball isn't sitting beside me. So you know, basically, uh, I'm, I'm kind of making it up as I as I go along here. 
Um, it was interesting hearing Bo's comments about being fearless. What does that mean to you, Caleb? You know, people be fearless. What does that mean to a baseball player? Oh, I love it. I love this question. When I heard him say that in his, uh, it was kind of uh, an interview, right? Mm -hmm. I just went ballistic. I loved it. Okay, so what I believe it is, is I really believe that Bo is probably alluding to just the fact that passivity can really create a lot of problems in sports, and especially when you're talking about hitting. And when you're not sure and when you're trying to do something, maybe it's a swing decision type of thing where you're, you're really trying not to chase, that really promotes kind of a passive type of move to the baseball. And what happens is you end up actually doing the thing that you don't want to do, which, say, in this example, would be chasing. Whereas if you have that kind of fearless mentality, that super aggressive mentality – you're going to be looking in a certain spot and you're going to make mistakes super aggressively. Good hitters chase, period. Mike Trout chases. Shohei Otani, they chase. But when they get their pitch in their zone, they're so aggressive to it, that's when they really do damage. And fear is, is, is something that really can hold a major leaguer back. And I was thinking about this earlier. When you're hitting and you're in the box, because the velocities are so high, because the spin is so good, you have got to be thinking, yes, 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 no. I am swinging, I am swinging, I am swinging to check down. If you are, are, are having more of a passive approach, whereas, okay, see the ball, make sure it's a good pitch, make sure it's a strike, okay, maybe I'll swing now. That is, is not going to do and bode very well. And I feel like Bo has really figured this out. It's taken him a couple years to really feel that fearlessness in the box and not worry about the, the few times that he does chase because with that attitude, he goes into it. He knows he's looking for a certain pitch in a certain zone. And with that aggression, he's able to do damage on the mistakes. Nobody makes a living hitting nasty pitches on the corner. They're really, really aggressive in the heart of the zone, looking and hunting mistakes. And I really feel like that's what he probably means by don't be, not don't be, be fearless. Be fearless at the plate. You know, looking back to that series against the Boston Red Sox, the sweep at Fenway Park on August 4th to 6th, 25 hits, 44 runs. We were all giddy. We were saying this was the approach we wanted to see from this team. This is what we expected to see for most of the year from the Blue Jays. And then, of course, they go into Cleveland. They win 3-1. They lose 1-0. They win 1-0. And they lose 4-3. And they have a difficult time scoring runs. They had a season-high 12 extra base hits yesterday. They hit five home runs yesterday. Did you see anything in, in any, any type of team-wide approach, Caleb, in that game that might carry over to the Orioles series because look, they are getting another, they're getting another hard throwing pitcher in Grayson Rodriguez. They saw a guy yesterday. Yes, I understand. Hunter Green, his first start in a while because he was on the IL. But Hunter Green mm-hmm. throws hard. And I, I'm wondering if that approach that they had against Hunter Green, can that carry over against Grayson Rodriguez? Or was this almost like a one off? Guy coming off the IL. Uh, a very young team. They had a bad day in the mm-hmm. field, right? They had an sure. awful day in the field. How do you read that game? And is there any expectation of your part of a carryover to the Orioles? 
Yeah, good teams take advantage of mistakes, and it's exactly what they did against the Reds. They were throwing it around, having a snowball fight out there, and they just kept the pedal to the metal. I I hope it's a carryover, and I've been saying this on Blue Jays Central for about three weeks now. This team needs an identity on the offensive side, and for me, one through nine, when one through nine is hunting the fastball, and they are hitting the fastball, working off of the fastball, at least first time through the order, great things start to happen. You alluded to that series in Boston. That's exactly what they did. You alluded to yesterday. That's exactly what they did in Hunter Green. He's featuring a 100-mile-hour fastball. They were sort of forced to, as our buddy Kevin Barker likes to say, get it down and get it singing. I mean, they were forced because of the high velocity. So they were ready to hit the fastball. They started hitting that fastball. Then once you absolutely torch that, then you can start to look maybe breaking ball because you're probably thinking they might not throw it again because I just hit a 450-foot homer. Now you can start to change your approach, but you've got to have a baseline, and you've got to have something to kind of work off of. And I love it when one through nine, they come out swinging and on time and ready for that fastball. This is a common theme. When they've done this, they've scored a lot of runs in bunches. And it's exactly what the Toronto Blue Jays fans believe this team can be. And it's a very simple approach. And I, I would bet you the entire farm that Bo Bichette gets up there and he looks fastball every single at-bat and adjusts to the breaking ball. And when you're looking at fastball, you're going to release on the hang and breaking ball, and your brain is going to automatically shut down on the really nasty strike, strike to ball, breaking pitch early in the count. You look at guys like Vladdy Guerrero in 2021 when he was going off. What do you think his batting average was against 95 plus? It was almost 400. Everybody's wondering, what's wrong with Vladdy? What's wrong with Vladdy? I'll tell you what's wrong with Vladdy. He's not hitting the fastball. Just go back and hit the fastball. And one through nine, one through 12, however many hitters they have, when they hit that, they do well. Hopefully they're starting to see this trend and they're seeing that when they do that, they have success. I hope it translates because for me, that's the secret weapon that they really need to pull out every single game. Now we saw with Bo's return yesterday, uh, Merrifield, Bichette, Belt, Guerrero, Springer, Varsho, Chapman, Jansen, and Kiermaier. So we, we saw uh, Bichette hitting second, Belt hitting third. Uh, the other day, uh, the game before, we saw Merrifield, Bichette, Guerrero. It drives, I know it drives Barker nuts, the idea of Belt hitting third. I guess it, you know, <laughs> his idea is he, he'd rather have Belt on base, you know, so that when Bichette gets a hit, it, it's a couple of runs. I mean, it, you know, Brandon Belt yesterday, right. a couple of home runs kind of helped the cause himself. But do you think this is the way that John Schneider will play it? Yeah, great question. I, it, it it seems like it. And you know what? I, I do tend to want Bichette in run-producing positions. I, I just feel like that to ball. And when you talk about facing an elite guy up there with uh, the, the game on the line with runners in scoring position, I, that's the guy I want to bat. But there's also something to be said about a belt sandwiched right in front of Vladdy. Belt is just, he never gives an A-B away. And it's very rare that he is going one, two, three. And and Bo is really good at this. But the ability to go deep and have a productive A-B. Uh, I know we've talked about this like with Donaldson where eight pitch at bat and I got out. It's it's That's that's a, a, a terrible A-B. I, I agree. 
but this is just kind of belt mo like when he starts getting deeper and deeper and deeper he actually does tend to find his way on base via walk or via the hit and it really does start to tire out the pitcher so you add a bow in front of belt who can do that exact same thing he can go six or seven straight fastballs and before you know it you've got a pitcher that's thrown 12 13 maybe even 14 pitches before they get to vladdy and that's when you really start to do damage because that's when these guys are a little bit tired they start to do a little bit too much because there's guys on base maybe that's when vladdy kind of gets that hanging breaking ball or just to get me over fastball and he can really let it go whatever John Schneider has done this year, it's worked. If it's been moving Whit Merrifield up, if it's been moving Varsho down, moving belt up and down, you got to give him a lot of credit. The buttons that he have pre- has pressed in the lineup, they all have worked. And so when it comes to lineup configuration, I- I'm trusting that Schneider's got a really good grasp and a really good idea of what he wants to do with that lineup. Now we also we got the full Jordan Hicks experience this week, and I listen. I got to tell you, I like the Jordan <laughs> Hicks experience. I'm, I'm, this, this is going to sound odd. I'm a big believer. If you throw that hard and you give up a home run and you lose the game on it, I'm kind of okay because I feel like I've been entertained. Now I know Jays fans, I'm sure don't feel that way. I'm sure that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't matter to them. But what when when everybody is healthy and everything's lined up for this bullpen, Caleb. What is Jordan Hicks to your mind? Oh, great question. Uh, I, I think, to be honest with you, when it gets really down to it, I'm not sure if he's a seven or an eight inning guy. I think it might be a matchup type situation. But if he does what he did in uh, yesterday's game, then he can be whatever he wants for me. If he's going to throw 103 with tremendous run and sink and get mad and angry and pitch, you know, with a guy. Who, who is just feel looks like he's absolutely ready to, to, to shove it down somebody's throat, then, yeah, that's the guy I want. I, I'm not sure about this little slurve thing. I, I, I've seen it a bunch, and it just, it just planes out so much to me that, oh, man, for a guy that's going to be trying to hit that sinker, and I know he's got the forcing, but most of the time guys are going to be looking for that sinker. Their barrel's going to be a little bit under if the slurve, sweeper, whatever you want to call it, doesn't really – break to the outer half it's right into the barrel there is a little bit of that that sort of scares me but when he throws that 103 with that type of movement uh, he can be whatever he wants i really feel like you could start to go seven eight depending matchup wise i could see swanson maybe even pitch in the eighth or goodness i mean the way that yenesis cabrera has pitched if they've got a couple lefties i could see a whole bunch of maneuvering around i think the only real lock is romano in the ninth Mm-hmm. Uh, but to have these type of weapons, this is a real luxury for the Blue Jays. I remember, goodness, eight, 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 ten months ago, there was four or five what seemed like holes in the bullpen, and right. you're going, "Oh man, like what are we going to do? Uh, can't you can't get through this guy? Can't do, trying to always have to find the pockets." But I really feel like what they have done, Ross Atkinson Company, in terms of this bullpen, it's a strength for this team, and. It plays. That stuff plays in the playoff. The way this team is set up, it, they really are set up to, to win playoff games. If they can just get a few hits here and there, they've got the starting pitching, they've got the defense, they run the base as well. they got a lockdown bullpen. The pieces are there. If they could just get some hits, you, you like where they could go in the future. Now, not having played the game, when I saw Vladdy leave the game yesterday with, that, with middle finger discomfort, I saw that swing, I saw the bat come out of his hand. A- as a player... Um, 
you know, we looked at it and it, it certainly it looked uncomfortable. And you take a swing like that and the bat slips out on anything can happen to your hand. But how concerned are you about that left middle finger discomfort? Because that's, um, you know, you've already got Matt Chapman dealing, dealing with a finger issue clearly. But I'm thinking of particularly with Vladdy at the plate. Is that, is that that big a deal? I, I don't think so. I think the score probably dictated the precautionary uh, measures that they took to take him out, knowing they had a day off today, going into another big series versus the Orioles. And sometimes, look, sometimes when you play in Cincinnati, it's really hot and it's a day game. You're not exactly as, uh, as hydrated as you might think you, you are or need to be. And sometimes you can just kind of cramp up a little bit when you're mm-hmm. taking a big swing, and especially when that bat kind of flies out. And you can just have, like, some, some soreness and cramping in there. It can tighten up. I've had it before in day games in Baltimore when, man, I was just – I thought I was hydrated, but I wasn't. And I've taken this exact same swing with my left hand, and it was my actual – it was my ring finger that kind of stuck on me a little bit. And in the moment, yes, it was kind of – it was painful – uh, but by the next day, I was totally fine. I, I, I hope it's not a big deal. The Blue Jays have been incredibly healthy, really, this entire season. If you look kind of just all the way down the roster, it just seems like in the last 30 days or so, there seems to be a guy about once every five or seven days that kind of catches something, and you really hope that that injury bug is making its way out of that clubhouse because it seems to be biting guys here and there. And now is absolutely not the time that they need a guy here and there going down. Caleb, you mentioned the Orioles, and of course the Jays will face the Orioles in the three-game series coming up. Um, I, you know, I, I, I had I completely forgotten about this, but doing some readings, prep work for the show, uh, poking around some of the things that Brandon Hyde said, I, I didn't realize that John Means is on the road back. What would that mean to that team if they can get him? If they can get him back. Even for like Brandon Hyde saying, well, he could be a swing guy. What would that mean for that? Because I'd completely forgotten about him. And at one point, I mean, he was he was a pretty pretty good pitcher. Oh yeah, really good pitcher, an all star for them, if I'm uh, mm-hmm. not mistaken. It's to me, it's sort of similar to Hun Jim Ryu, right? Well, if you can get him back, maybe you can kind of sandwich him in, see what he's got. You know, he's been effective in the past, and see if there's anything kind of left in the tank. Of course, there's going to be more in the tank from means because he's much younger, but Hunjin has been throwing the ball really, really well for the Blue Jays. I mean, zero earned runs in his last, what, three or four starts. Pretty amazing. And if you look at the way the Orioles are built, if you could kind of put your finger on something in terms of weakness, it's probably their starting pitching. They're very opportunistic with how they get guys on base. They take advantage of misplays. They're really aggressive on the bases. Uh, they play really good defense. Their bullpen's outstanding, and it's probably that starting pitching. And I think this might be the only reason they kind of made one trade uh, with uh, adding Jack Flaherty to the fold was knowing that if they could get 80% of means, it will probably could be an upgrade with kind of what they currently have. They could start to sandwich guys here and there, and it would be huge. He's got a tremendous changeup. He is uh, he's a big guy, real sneaky fastball. Um, he, he has really come a long ways. I remember catching him in triple a thinking, Oh man, this poor guy, he, he's going to barely get through a triple a. He was 90, 91. And in the next spring training, he was 95, 97 going, Holy smokes. He figured something out, but he would be a huge shot in the arm for them. 
if uh, if he can get back to maybe 80, 85 percent of what he has showed them in the past. Caleb, I appreciate you joining us, man. It's uh, great to have a former player on. Seeing as how I don't have anybody beside me, I feel I, I, I feel I feel better now. You you've I, I feel better. I feel more complete. There you go. Be fearless today, Jeff. Blair. I will be fearless. be fearless. I'm always fearless, sort of. Be Take well. All righty. That's Caleb Joseph of uh, Blue Jays Central. A reminder that the Jays are off tonight. They will start their three game series against Baltimore. Um, there will be baseball tonight across the network. Most I guess most importantly, most importantly. The uh, Seattle Mariners taking on the Chicago White Sox. Of course, implications for the Blue Jays in the wild card race. Uh, We've been giving you the chance to win Blue Jays tickets all season long here in Blair and Barker. Whether you listen to the radio or you were listening to us on our podcast, all you have to do is text the correct answer to our daily baseball trivia question to 590-590. Our last trivia question and answer was, this pitcher played for five seasons in Cleveland's minor league organization before being hired as a member of their front office in 2001. The answer was Ross Atkins, who is, of course, now the general manager of the Toronto Blue Jays. Today's question is to win tickets to see the Jays and Guardians down at the Rogers Center on Saturday, August 26th. This Hall of Fame pitcher was a five-time All-Star and three-time World Series champion, two of which he won with the Toronto Blue Jays. What many don't remember, I certainly didn't remember this, what many don't remember is after Toronto, he spent some time in Cleveland making 23 starts in 1994. Who is it? Again, this Hall of Fame pitcher was a five-time All-Star and a three-time World Series champion, two of which he won with the Blue Jays. What many don't remember is after Toronto, he spent some time in Cleveland making 23 starts for Cleveland in 1994. Who is it? You can text the answer to 590-590 for your shot to win. See rules at sportsnet.ca slash 590. And you could be going down to the Rogers Center to see the Jays and the Guardians this Saturday. It is Monday. Now, Normally on Monday, we do in the East. And uh, we plan on doing in the East, but we got a little bit of time here. Do we have any uh, any calls on the back leg line that we can get to by any chance? Let's go to the back leg line, shall we? Rob in West Kelowna. R- go ahead, Rob. What makes Kevin Cash such a great manager in uh, Tampa Bay? He always seems to get the best out of his players. Uh, thanks, uh, enjoy your show, guys. Thanks, Rob, and I hope that you're uh, staying safe uh, in West Kelowna. We're certainly aware of the uh, uh, wildfire situation in uh, in that part in that part of the country. I mean, Kevin and I, uh, Barker and I, have talked about this a lot. I, I think I think there's a lot involved with being the manager of the Tampa Bay Rays, and and I don't mean that in a, I don't mean that in a negative way. I think you have to. You have to buy into a certain way of doing things. You have to be very flexible. You have to, I don't know if I'd say bend your will to the will of your front office. I don't think that's entirely fair. But you certainly have to be prepared to go against what others may see as being the grain when you make decisions. I also think, frankly, and... I think there's 
It's something Joe Madden did for the longest time there. The Rays have a way of doing business. The Rays are never going to have the biggest payroll in baseball. The Rays are never going to have the sexiest stadium in baseball. Um, but what the Rays do well is they create a culture within the team. And they create a culture. You remember, I remember Kevin Cash talking about this one day, and, and actually Charlie Montoyo talked about this as well when he was a Jays manager. The way they kind of create a culture that turns the clubhouse over to the players. And, and essentially the understanding is, look, we are the Rays. We are never going to go out and be signing guys to $400 million contracts. Shohei, I guarantee you Shohei Otani ain't going to sign in Tampa. We've got this ballpark that nobody likes coming to. It's located in a part of the state that is really hard to get. I mean, we know all the things about, uh, uh, about, the, about the trop. Um, but I think if you create a sense of well-being for your players, if you create a mindset in your players that, look, we are doing everything we can to make your lives comfortable and those of your family comfortable. Yeah, that's really all the players want. I th- players will, listen, players, I think, can handle the fact that they may have to go on to make more money. They may have to go on to another city to make more money as long as they aren't being drastically underpaid where they are and don't feel that they've been taken advantage of. And I really think Kevin Cash, I really think that Kevin Cash plays a, uh, plays a, uh, an important role in, uh, in creating, in creating that particular situation. And, if you talk to folks around the organization, they will tell you that that is the case, that Kevin Cash is very much, because he's been there for so long, he understands the ins and outs. He understands the politics of dealing with the front office and dealing with the situation that uh, the Rays have presented him. And look, I've been the first. I've been sitting here predicting the Rays were going to crumble ever since... Shane McClanahan went down, and now they don't have Wander Franco, and nobody knows if he's going to get back. And frankly, the Rays' approach seems to be we don't expect him back. And I keep saying, right, I, I, I've been saying for two weeks, hey, never mind, never mind looking after Seattle, looking after this. I think the Jays can take a shot at Tampa. Well, Tampa's coming off, what, a 6-3 road trip? Uh, they still find ways of winning. They've got Zach Eflin. Hands up if you thought Zach Eflin would be the first uh, 13 game winner in the American League this year. I sure as hell didn't. So the Rays still have a lot going on. There's still a handful. They still know how to win. And they still got a dude who is probably going to be in the top three for American League manager of the year almost every year. Um, that's just, that's kind of, that's kind of the, the, the reputation Kevin Cash has built for himself. Uh, it is Monday. We are going to look around the East. Lots happening this weekend. Uh, not just involving the Blue Jays, obviously, but clearly they're the focus. And we're going to take a deeper dive into the Baltimore Orioles as well with Tyler Kepner of the New York Times. He uh, has done a couple of recent articles on the Orioles, one that kind of raised a lot of eyebrows uh, with John Angelos, the managing partner of the Orioles. Um, Kind of saying 
I mean, to parse his words, folks, enjoy what you see right now because we're probably not going to be able to afford all these young stars. I'm not certain that's what the Orioles want to hear. I'm not certain that's what Baltimore fans want to hear. But uh, we'll talk to Tyler Kepner about that as well. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590 The Fan, Sportsnet, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. Breaking down the biggest stories in Toronto sports. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Horfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So even though the mayor of Back Lake City is uh, not in this week because he's on holiday, well, we're trying to keep things sort of as normal uh, as possible. And, um, well, part of that, one of the things we like to do every Monday is uh, this segment. In the East... I'm almost thinking, though, that when Barker comes back, we should. And, Andrew, I don't know if this is possible. Should we change it to in the east slash wild card or in the wild, wild east or something? Like? <clears throat> we'll have to come up with something because, uh, I mean, clearly we've got to start focusing on the wild card. And the wild card picture, yeah, it involves the east, but there's also a bunch of stuff going on beside. But anyhow, this is what we have for now. Then the uh, Toronto Blue Jays that we mentioned fell out of the playoff spot or out of a playoff spot this week. And their reward for that, well, their reward is three games against the Baltimore Orioles starting Tuesday in Baltimore. Now, you know about the Jays' woes within their division. They're 2-8 and eight against the Orioles this year. They're 11-23 and 23 within the, the division. That's significant because the tiebreaker in baseball, and yes, we are going to be talking about tiebreakers for the next couple of weeks, re- it, it is record between the teams that are tied but also record within the division. That's the second thing. So the Jays clearly have some work to do um, to uh, within their division to put themselves in position in the, in, in the wild card. And frankly, I don't know. That ship may have already sailed. 11 and 23 is awfully hard to overcome. Uh, look, I guess you can convince yourself the, Ray, the Jays still have a shot at the division title, but eight and a half games out with the Rays between them and the Orioles would seem to suggest it's still all about the wild card, especially since the Jays don't have any more games left against the Orioles after this the Orioles went six and three in the recent road trip sweeping the A's this week and then capping it off with a 12-1 win which Gunnar Henderson their rookie could have become the first Orioles rookie to cycle had he stopped at first base in the eighth inning look I have a story about that I have a story about something similar Mm, but first here's Gunnar Henderson on why he didn't stop Gunner, did you know you were a single from the cycle when you ultimately ran through to get that eighth inning double? Yeah, I did. I, um, I thought about it, but at the same time, I was like, if it's meant to be, I'm going to hit a true single, and I felt like, I don't know, uh, I guess looking back, you could stop, but uh, that's just the way I play is just keep going. Yeah, and here's what his manager, Brandon Hyde, said when asked about what it means and whether or not he was surprised that his rookie didn't gear down and settle for the single. Amazing game by him. Uh, some left-on-left stuff, and, you know, he's just uh, he's 22 years old, and he's a rookie of the year in the American League. You have a vote. Any part of you wish that last double was a single? Uh, you know what? Gunner plays the game in one speed, and that's hard, and it's the right way, and 
I don't unless he tripped over the bag. I, I didn't see that happening. Um, just because that's how hard he plays. Okay, I'm going to ask Jays fans to think back. Maybe you remember this. Uh, August 17th, 2001. Jeff Fry, legendary Jeff Fry, pulls up for a single in the seventh inning with the Jays leading Texas. I think it was 11-2 and two at the time. It was a double. I could have made it. Alejandro Kirk could have made it. But Jeff Fry decided to pull up for a single. Hit for the cycle. And he told us afterwards, he said, well, Cito Gaston, his manager, and, and the first base coach, Garth York, both told me, slow down. Cito, in fact, told me when I went up to the plate, hey, just get a single. So anyhow, I always think about that story anytime anybody hits for a cycle. And I'm just going to say this, well done to Gunnar Henderson. Of course, Gunnar Henderson's so young. Yeah, Gunnar Henderson's probably going to have a cycle in his career at some point. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, meanwhile, they were forced to play a doubleheader in the West Coast due to Hurricane Hillary. They won the nightcap 18-4 Saturday, and then they enjoyed a leisurely flight back to Tampa. They'll play the Colorado Rockies and Yankees while awaiting some sort of clarity about Wander Franco's future. Now, you know, of course, that Franco's on the restricted list amidst an Major League Baseball investigation into social media posts detailing detailing an improper relationship with a minor. Uh, he's also the subject of an investigation into the Dominican Republic. And as a matter of fact, we were expecting some sort of news today. We may still get some sort of news today about Wander Franco's status. The Rays went 6-3 in their road trip. Zach Eflin became the American League's first 13-game winner. And the Rays feel they have steadied the ship a bit after tumbling out of first place. They've won six of their last seven series. And don't look now, but Randy Rosarena homered. He had three hits in the nightcap. That is his second homer since July 18th. And considering how Wander Franco was on a roll at the time of going on the restricted list, Rosarena really needs to step up in Franco's absence. And well, if you don't believe me, believe me just ask Kevin Cash's manager. We need to get him going, no doubt. There's a couple of them, but he's probably the key guy that we want to get going. Uh, we know how special he is to our lineup, how much he needs to our lineup. For him to get that home run, it had to felt good for him. He had a hit earlier, so encouraged by that. The Jays have more to worry about than the Astros and Mariners in the wild card race. The Red Sox are two and a half games behind them. The Red Sox have a bear of a week facing them. They've got four games against the Astros. Then they head out in the road to Dodger Stadium for three games. They're coming off their second series sweep of the Yankees. Justin Turner slamming a three-run home run and a 6-5 win after Rafael Devers was intentionally walked by poor Aaron Boone. I mean, everything Aaron Boone touches right now just turns to mud uh, after Aaron Boone intentionally walked Rafael Devers. The Red Sox are getting healthy. They expect Tanner Houck to be able to start Tuesday's game after two months off with a facial fracture. Tristan Casa should be back after missing two games with an infected tooth. Hey, if you're Alex Cora, man, you got to have a good feeling about your team. We respect them. They're, they got a good team. They, they, they put it to us last year. And uh, I know we played them in the playoffs. And in 18, we did what we did. And then in the wildcard game, we, we got them too, but uh, last year it was tough against us. They were very tough against us, and this year, um, you know, we're playing better right now. So, um, you know, we just got to be ready for Houston. Uh, it's not about the Yankees, it's not about the Jays or the Rays. It's about whoever we have to play, we got to keep playing good baseball. Yeah, and while Alex Cora's got to be feeling pretty good about his team, the same can't be said of Yankees manager Aaron Boone, who spent more time answering questions about the big picture than single losses, and that's never, never, never a good sign. The Yankees are 1-7 against the Red Sox this season. They've been outscored 49-19. Boone acknowledged this weekend that he's been called in the carpet by ownership in the front office several times 
He also said this, and this is a quote that uh, when the story of the 2023 Yankees is written, oh, I bet this is going to play prominently. Earlier today, you mentioned that you f- you feel like a turnaround is coming. You you guys have won one series since the end of June. Mm-hmm. Why do you feel like that's possible? I, I mean, you're going to keep asking because that's what we do, and we have no other choice. I don't not think a turnaround's coming, so we're just going to get to work. And and I, I know it's a boring answer for you guys, but we got we got to try and come win a ball game tomorrow. And and expect when we walk in those doors, today's the day. That's that's how we look at it. That's how we that's what we are. We're sick animals in a, in a lot of ways, right? It's a grind of the sport. We got to we got to we got to come ready to go tomorrow and fight our way through this. And through this, you reveal, you know, you you find out about people and and you get your character revealed and and you got to keep showing up and and when you're taking your lumps and it's not easy, that's what we continue to do and we and we'll continue to expect to turn it around. Sick animals. I got to think that might be a title. The book about the 2023 New York Yankees. Let's bring in Tyler Kepner of the New York Times. Uh, Tyler, thanks so much for joining us on Blair and Barker. I want to talk to you about the uh, couple of articles you did in the Orioles. But first, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about uh, the Yankees. Look, um, I, I, I never mind where the Yankees are right now. What is, what's the, what's the near-term future for this team? Like, what does what 2024 hold for this team, do you think? Well, hey, good to talk to you, Jeff. Um, it's 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 it could be rough um, because they're just you know. They, I mean, it could be rougher than this year, could it not? Yeah, because they're just getting older, right? I mean, and and, and they're already old. They, they've got they've got a uh, 143 million committed for the next, I think, each of the next three years to uh, to Judge and Cole and uh, and you know Rodon and Stanton and Lemayhew and you know they've all had great careers but um you know besides cole and 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 judge um when he's healthy um you know those those guys aren't really producing um so you can keep throwing money at it but you know that that hasn't worked um here and and they've tried the the young the young player route the baby bombers and 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 they never really amounted to much besides judge so um, they've tried it a bunch of different ways. They've gone heavy analytics, and that's come under some criticism as well. You know, Brian Cashman had to make the first in-season coaching change ever, um, and he's been here over 25 years, right. you know, so the hitting coach. So I don't know, man. I mean, you know, they were 10 games over on the 4th of July, and then they got ran into a bunch of injuries. You know, that's the most charitable way to think of it. Um, but the same thing happens every year. They just strike out a lot, and they, they their older players get injured. Um, sort of like, what do you expect, right? Yeah, and, and I just, uh, I mean, I'll look at that team, and, and I mean, I just, you know, Shohei Otani would cure everything, but I think we all kind of expect Shohei Otani to stay on the West Coast. Uh, I just, I don't know if it's a quick fix. That's the thing that kind of surprised me, because in the past, the Yankees have had some years where you've looked at it and gone, okay, but this guy's a free agent. They can go out and add this guy, and, and you know, and they, they, they should be okay. But, yeah, I'm, I'm not entirely convinced this is bottom. And that, you know, as someone who's used to the Yankees really hardly ever touching bottom, uh, that's kind of difficult to wrap your head around. Yeah, I mean, to put it in perspective, it's been 30 years uh, of, of winning seasons here. You know, the last time they had a losing season was 1992. That was the year 
Aaron Judge was born in the year they drafted Derek Jeter. So, I mean, they've had they've they've had nothing but winning seasons since then, and uh, of course, almost all of those have been postseason seasons. So, it's been a long time. Um, so, you know, all those previous winners, when we talk about how are they going to fix this, well, they were still fixing uh, a winning product, um, and now you know they they would go into it trying to trying to fix something that that is. It will be broken if they have, you know, a losing record. There's no, there's no way, other way to look at it, um, and that's that's a frightening proposition because, again, you know, you can you can go out and, and, and buy free agents. You can buy, uh, you know, Cody Bellinger and Matt Chapman and Julio Arias, and you know, even if you don't get Otani, um, but that doesn't that rarely works that way. That that all those guys come in and, and presto, you win, especially when the team's already kind of old. Now, I wanted to ask you about uh, some of your recent articles, or recent article in the Baltimore Orioles in particular. You know, it's, I was talking to somebody just around the All-Star break, um, an executive with, with another organization. We were kind of kidding about the Orioles, and the guy said to me, man, my only hope is that Angelus doesn't screw this up somehow. So that's my only hope because this thing is just, it, it just looks so good. Um, your conversation, like, were you a little surprised that the, Ange- the Angelos family, that John Angelos already seems to be sort of hinting that, eh, you know, it's, it'd be a good idea to win ASAP. Cause I just don't know if we're going to be able to sign all these young guys. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, you know, if it was, if it was me or if it was most of us, I think, you know, we would, we would really be going all in on locking up uh, all these young guys as, as, as quickly as we can. Now, you know, it, it takes two people to, to sure. want to do that. But, um, but you know, the Braves have figured out a way to sign just about everybody. Um, you know, a lot of teams have, have gone ahead and signed guys kind of right away. At the first sign that they're going to be good, they go ahead and, and, and sign them. Uh, now, it's debatable as to whether or not that's going to work, but that is sort of the way that Cleveland's done it for a long it. time, too. Yeah, and Baltimore has nobody signed long term. Not a single guy signed. Now, obviously, they've got years of club control on these guys, but they don't have any um, long term commitments at all. You know, but James McCann next year. You know, and he's mostly paid for by the Mets, so they got nothing um, out there. Uh, you know, in, in the future, in terms of payments. So I, that would be what I would what I would focus on. But you know, it's it's from a business perspective. I think John Angelo sees this time as the only window he is going to have to to get a Braves style um, setup there at Camden Yards. Camden Yards is a, is a we all know a beautiful ballpark, but they're you know they need to sign a, a new lease, mm-hmm. and rather than just sign a new one and get the get the you know get the six hundred million that the Maryland uh, Authority will will give them for stadium improvements, he sees it in a much grander plan, sort of a legacy play of. You know, building a a campus uh, there on on uh, the Camden Yards property, which they share with the Ravens, so that's another complication. Um, but obviously, it would bring in a lot more money to the Orioles, and it would bring you know there'd be a lot of community components, which is what he's talking about. But more money for the Orioles means that you know theoretically that they can have a better chance of signing their players. And the flip side of that is if they don't get this stadium, uh, all these goodies, then they might not be able to sign their players. So that's not what the fans really want to hear. They just want you to lock up these guys and, and, and keep the band going. It's just starting out. You know, you don't want to start thinking about the end of it. Yeah, that that's the thing that kind of stood out to me. And and I wonder if, you know, perhaps Tyler seeing, you know, having 
having this young team put together the type of run, it's going to make the playoffs and, 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 you know, maybe they can go on a bit of a magical run in the postseason. I wonder, would that do you think maybe create an atmosphere that might make it easier to get all those improvements lined up? Or does it simply get back to the fact that, you know, it, it's, it's kind of John Angelos that has to make the decision here, right? And, and more than anything else. Or, or do you think that there's, there's a, a pathway here where an environment is created where there's just such a, a, a groundswell of support for this team that these improvements get done regardless? It could be. I mean, you know, we don't know what what the future immediate future holds. If they're you know three games and out in the in the first round, or if they go on a a, a run to the World Series for the first time in, in in forty years, and and you know you think back to what happened in Seattle uh, a generation ago, right. where you know that that ballpark um, the, the ballpark proposal was actually defeated in September, but the Mariners went on such a inspirational run that that they they were able to figure out a way in the state house to just get that stadium deal through anyway, because it was kind of what the voters uh, would have wanted if they had known that they would go on that run. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think that there's one problem in, in, in Baltimore, which is part of Angelos's um, motivation, I think for, for sitting down with me was that, you know, I mean, let's not, let's, let's not pretend that he, you know, he, he has some image uh, repair yeah. that he needs to do that. The fans there are not big fans of, of the Angelos they've never won um in baltimore in 30 years so you know he he, he's i think trying to show um how important this is to him and if the team goes out and wins and he can keep selling this vision of this as he calls it a public private partnership there um maybe it can happen i don't know they don't have to sign it right now it's not till december 31st and then you know even then who knows? i mean they're not moving right um but but uh they may not be. I mean, he views them through a small market lens, and I think that scares a lot of fans because they would love to think of it as as more of a middle market or a upper upper market, you know, like a Houston sort of thing. And and I, I don't think they really view it that way, ownership wise. They don't want to run losses. Right. As far as we know, do the family issues been been settled? You know, the well documented split in the family yeah, yeah, has, I, been, I, has that been settled? Yeah, I didn't even get into that in the story because it has been settled. So, I mean, it certainly is not, you know, it was a little unsightly to have, you know, family dynamics play out like that in the right. public. But, yeah, they, they did settle that a, a few months ago. So it's, it's you know, John Angelos is the control person now, and, and Peter Angelos, is, he's 90-something. He's obviously, you know, in uh, in poor health, and, and, and it's John's team now. Do you have any idea which, I mean, when you look at all the young players they have and, and the young players uh, coming up, is there, to your mind, is there a guy, like, look, everybody points to Adley Rushman as being the guy. Is, is there a guy that, if they could lock up, that would send a signal to the fan base and maybe to other players that, okay, there is, like, there is kind of a long-term plan here. And when I say lock up, just cover cover a dude through, I don't know, four years of arbitration or something like that. Right. I mean, just, just something, right? Like, yeah. you know, say something like, hey, I mean, you know, Gunder Henderson, I think, is a Scott Boris guy. We know how that goes. Uh, you know, I don't know about Rushman's motivations for, 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 for doing anything. But, I mean, I don't know. Like, go up to Rushman and say, you know, all right, JT Real Muto is the highest-paid catcher right now, and we'll make you – uh, the highest paid catcher plus a little bit um, for a certain number of years here going into your arbitration. You're our guy. 
make him turn it down. I don't know. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. that's happened behind the scenes and none of us know about it. Um, but that's the sort of thing I, I, I would be doing right now. And even some of the other guys, you know, like, like, like they've got a lot of guys under the radar guys. Brad has just had, a, has had a great year. Right. Um, you know, the, the, the obviously the all-star, uh, back of the bullpen guys, they have, um, I mean, Jackson holidays, tearing it up in the minors, a former number one overall pick. So you could find some guys, even a guy like Mountcastle, we saw what he does to the Blue Jays all the time, and, and you know he's he's tearing it up this month. Um, extend somebody like that to show you know show that there's somebody you you are going to commit to as part of the core. Um, and I think it, you know you start to get very nervous when when that core is is um, is not locked up. And you look around the league and you see Corbin Carroll is signed long term, and Julio Rodriguez is signed long term, and and all those Braves guys. So these teams. In the situation, Fernando Tatis Jr., they signed their guys right away, and Baltimore hasn't done that yet. Tyler, really good of you to join us today. Thanks so much, man. Be well. All right. Thanks a lot. Tyler Kepner of the New York Times. And, uh, again, the Jays have tonight off. They will start that three-game series against the Baltimore Orioles tomorrow. Uh, right here on Sportsnet 590, the fan of Sportsnet. A three-game series, and the Jays are home to take on the Cleveland Guardians at the Rogers Center. A reminder, there is baseball on Sportsnet tonight. 8 o'clock, the Seattle Mariners and the Chicago White Sox. So you can keep tabs on the Mariners who, as we've been spending a great deal of time talking about today, seem very, very intent on being the team that kind of carries the ball in the wild card race. So that is it for us. I shall be back tomorrow from 5 to 7 Eastern on Sportsnet 590, the fan and Sportsnet. Have yourself a great night.